on a thousand planets and spreading out. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. To the bat poles. May the force be with you. Who is that mask man? Avengers, assemble. Good afternoon and welcome to the Fantastic Forum. I'm your host, Ulysses E. Campbell. As always, we'll start the show with some genre-related news. Supergirl on the CW will conclude with season six. In a statement, star Melissa Benoist wrote, to say it has been an honor portraying this iconic character would be a massive understatement. Seeing the incredible impact the show has had on young girls around the world has always left me humbled and speechless. What she stands for pushes all of us to be better. She has changed my life for the better and I'm forever grateful. I'm so excited that we get to plan our conclusion to this amazing journey, and I cannot wait for you to see what we have in store. I promise we're going to make it one hell of a final season. The show returns to production in Vancouver this fall for a debut sometime in 2021. Samuel L. Jackson will return to the role of Nick Fury in a new Marvel series produced by Kyle Bradstreet and currently in development at Disney+. Bradstreet most recently worked as a writer and executive producer on the Emmy Award-winning USA Network series Mr. Robot. Exact plot details of the series are undisclosed. The show will be produced by Marvel Studios. The 2020 Harvey Awards were broadcast yesterday evening as part of New York Comic Con's NYCC Metaverse. The event continues through tomorrow. You can get more information on the website findthemetaverse.com and check out a complete list of the Harvey winners on the Fantastic Forum Facebook page at facebook.com backslash Fantastic Forum. Iman Vellani has been cast as Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel, and will star in the Disney Plus series based on the character. Ms. Marvel first appeared in 2014 as Marvel's first Muslim character to star in her own title, and she will become Marvel Studios' first on-screen Muslim superhero. Kevin Feige has said that in addition to appearing on the small screen, Kamala Khan will also be included in future Marvel films. An anniversary last week as Charles M. Schultz's Peanuts daily comic strip made its debut 70 years ago on October 2nd, 1950. The strip introduced such beloved characters as Charlie Brown and Snoopy. It also spawned several animated feature films, as well as award-winning iconic holiday cartoon specials that are still staples of the Halloween and Christmas seasons. We're saddened to learn of the passing of Joaquin Salvador Lavado Tejon, better known by his pen name, Quinto. He was an Argentine-Spanish cartoonist and the creator of the popular Latin American comic strip Mafalda. He was 88. Today, we're talking about all that as well as some of our favorite and not-so-favorite moments from comics. And joining me today are Shireen Nicole and Drew Bittner and Julian Lytle. Welcome to the show, everybody. Hey. Hey. So, hey, uh, before we get to uh, what I was looking at as the main topic for today, 
Uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we've done a new episode, and there's been a lot of stuff that's happened in the interim period. And I thought that we would just mention a few of these things. Um, uh, one is, oh, wait, wait, stop. Before we do that, I'm sorry. Julian Lytle, <laughs> I just have to give kudos <laughs> to you, man, because there is a uh, comic that is out right now. In fact, it just dropped. It is Legend of the Swamp Thing, Halloween Spectacular, 48-page giant, and who has a story in there but FF panelist Julian Lytle. Woo! Congratulations, Julian Lytle. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That is true. I have a story. It's a lot of work. <laughs> we get them checks, man. Get them checks. And I, I hopefully this is merely the start of something else for you. Hopefully it is. Hopefully it is. Then I might have stopped being on the show, though. The one thing you're not going to do is get brand new. <laughs> I ain't worried about being brand new. <laughs> no, Sheree. I'm worried about he's the gonna, lawyers. <laughs> well, see, see he, he's going to be one of them. He's going to get a check for everything he does. Because <laughs> Julian Lytle don't play. It's going to be like, huh, wait, what, what color is your money? <laughs> if it's green enough, it's no mistake that Swamp Thing is green. <laughs> that is no mistake here <laughs> for Julian he's made of money you know it's like we go see he go be doing people like Green Arrow Green Lantern Swamp Thing you know it's like <laughs> is, I mean what you trying to really, say <laughs> is that really the way that's the, that's the way we traveling uh, I'm just trying not to get in trouble that's it that's all <laughs> yeah you, you don't want the well you know we, there's not really DC ninjas, but you don't want whatever version that DC has. AT and C ninjas is serious. Oh, mm. oh no, AT and T definitely has ninjas. Well, they might have samurai, you know, because Disney got ninjas. They got everything. AT and T. They got cowboys. Well, they got specimens. They got. <laughs> it's big business. It's big business, and when you uh, represent. A corporate entity like that, um, you know, essentially your every utterance uh, casts some doubt and suspicion, of, potentially casts doubt and suspicion on them. You represent them uh, because they're paying you. Yes. So that is, I, I absolutely appreciate that. And were, were the time to come when you could no longer uh, continue to get checks and do this show, I would shed actually several tears but i would applaud you for continuing to get the checks because he, he julian lytle knows what side his bread is buttered on he could do the show he just couldn't talk dc he could talk all the other things well that's another way to go you know i, I like to try to make things work i and i appreciate that so but yes congratulations Julian Lytle. Can you, can, well, I'm sorry, I was getting ready to say, can you tell us anything about the story? Well, actually, hell, I'll ask. Can you tell us anything? <laughs> oh, the, well, the comic came out this week, and it's eight pages, and it's at your local comic book store, or you can buy digitally at readdc.com. Who um, who did the art? John Timms. Oh, oh, work. John T oh, okay, all mm -hmm. right. Yeah, so, um, I, now, you happen to also be an outstanding artist. Uh, do you have any interest in drawing and writing? I mean, it's another check. 
No, not right now. Okay. Nah, let's, let's got to be honest. Uh, going by the way comics work right now, uh, you seem to have You'd a little bit run. more. You have a little bit more leeway and ability to move around when you write versus when you draw. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, the only thing that surprised, and you, you've mentioned that before, but the only thing that surprises me about that is um, my perception, and, and perhaps it's a dated perception at this point, but my perception has been that it's the artists that, I mean, although today, a lot of the time, writers are what have people actually buy in the books, but at least at one point, uh, it was the artists. And that, if a book looked true. a certain way, you know, yeah. You call that the 90s. <laughs> yeah yeah you got some superstar writers now too i mean the fact that you even know some of these people's names hmm. well it, it, either way um it's a hell of an accomplishment and uh damn proud to know you my friend thanks mm-hmm. yeah so anyway the moral of this is legend of the swamp thing halloween spectacular 48 page giant julian Lytle and john thames uh you know entertain yourself Check it out, because you know it's going to be good stuff. So, the Supergirl on the CW, season six, <laughs> going to be the last season. How do we feel about that? <laughs> I think that they're at a point where they don't have much else left to say. And I don't know if the CW can have a Superman show and a Supergirl show when a large part of the Supergirl show was basically doing Superman stories. <laughs> Mm. But with Supergirl instead of Superman. Yeah. Yep. I did it's not, that. Yeah, like it's just it's like it's almost like Superman wasn't Superman for all those years because all his stories happened around Supergirl. So um yeah, like she she her main villain is still even Lex Luthor. Like, yeah. like what are you what are you gonna like I, I just hope they're able to transition some of the side characters to other shows if they want to stay around and continue to get paychecks. Like I like I like John Jones. They could just put him in every show. Uh, uh-huh. um, <laughs> he, 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 he could he could be the Lieutenant Wharf of uh, no. Drew said uh uh-uh. Drew said uh uh-uh. uh y'all didn't hear it. Drew said nah <laughs> <laughs> He's a good actor. I don't care. I I want him to stay around. I need people oh, who can you can emotion. definitely stay around. We're just not overkill, but it it has always been extremely tickling to me, because I remember the first time you told me, "I don't know what Superman's been doing all this time." Because Supergirl has all his stories. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of funny, but it, you know that, um, that when they did that, what was it? The um, Alan Moore, the Alan yeah. Moore story about the flower that sticks to your chest. Mm-hmm. And or the man who has everything. Exactly. Yeah. When yeah. they did that, a Supergirl, I was yeah. like, I was done. I was like, this isn't a Supergirl story. No, this they, is absolutely they, Superman story. They've refused to tell uh, Supergirl stories, but they did the same with Green Batman. Uh, <laughs> you know, they stole yeah. some some of my favorite storylines from Batman. So I guess they just felt like they had to steal from the. From the, uh, they haven't stolen any Wonder Woman stories le- yet, but you know, let's wait and see what Batwoman season two brings. Mm. Well, well, I yeah. I think that's because uh, Superman had a not so well liked movie franchise. So it's like TV taken back, so we can do it. But Batman, they know they ain't getting no Batman show. 
But, so I expect Batwoman to have a whole lot of more Batman type of stories real soon. Mm. <laughs> uh, pivoting for just a second, I did recognize that uh, after that uh, Superman uh, Lois Lane show got greenlit, that that was going to potentially conflict with anything they did on Supergirl. So I wasn't really surprised when they announced that this was going to be the final season for Supergirl. But the other thing was, and don't get me wrong, because I'm I'm pretty progressive, uh, but I felt like they had totally bought into Supergirl as a social justice warrior. And I don't know how well that played with some of the audience. And so I, you know, for, for that reason, the, the direction they had taken the show, uh, the fact that they were retooling the Superman sh- uh, stories and the fact that now there was actually going to be an actual Superman show on the CW. Is there going to be an actual Superman show, though? No, Event- not really. But <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, no, I, you're right. I mean, in some ways. I, I think that that 90s show, um, uh, New Adventures of Lois and Clark, has so. kind of tainted this. I, I, you know, look, I, I never watched it. Sequest DSV came Come on, on at the same time. Oh. <laughs> I, I had to make a choice. But the thing for me is that I think to piggyback on what you're saying, Yuli, Supergirl hasn't been good to me in a very long time. It, I felt I felt like it lost its way when it went off CBS, but I still stuck with mm. it for a while. But I remember a conversation that your delightful son and I had once where I was like, Kara is just so very... And I was searching for the word, and he said, sanctimonious. And I said, yes! <laughs> you know, that's not fun in a hero. Uh, no. it, it's And it's, it doesn't suit that character very well. I, I think mm-hmm. they made some mistakes in trying to put her and her boyfriend on screen together because, you know, whatever that was. Um, mm. and, and so I, I just feel like it lost its way. If it, But if we go to this new this new Lois and Clark, you guys, I won't take up too much of your time because I love Tyler Hoechlin or Hoechlin or however you're supposed to pronounce his name, which I will get right one day. He's great. <laughs> He's fabulous. I loved him in Teen Wolf. He's just not anybody's Superman. Well, he might be yours. He's just not a Superman. And and I feel like Brandon Routh marginally proved it, but uh, Tom Welling made such a impact. When you put Tyler beside Tom, you knew who Superman was. It was it wasn't just the size, it was the bearing, it was the style, it was the way. You know, there's a lot of other roles that I think Tyler Hoechlin would be amazing for. I could see him being I see I could see him being Nightwing easily. Yeah. Easy. I could see him being a short lobo easily. Um what I can't quite get to because he just doesn't have that thing that says Superman to me. You know what the problem was with that casting? He was he wasn't cast to be Superman on a show about Superman. He was cast to be Superman on Supergirl. Mm-hmm. So they needed a certain type of Superman that was not going to overshadow her. You know, I mean, this is why in the uh, 1984 film, uh, I think it was uh, Supergirl uh, with um, Helen Slater. 
uh, they only had a picture of Christopher Reeve <laughs> as opposed to actually having Christopher Reeve. You couldn't have Chris Reeve in that movie because he'd have taken over the movie. Even in a cameo, he'd have taken over that movie. But uh, yeah, but that, that was the problem. He's perfect if you, and y- you notice even on the first season of that show, uh, when it was on the on CBS, they did. They didn't even have a guy. You know, he was yeah. just. You know, we're going to give you a silhouette. We're going to do this day. You know, yeah. But no, it, on a show about Supergirl, you cast a different guy, and it's just unfortunate that they stuck with that casting because what they really should have done was they should have recast when they decided to do a uh, a standalone Superman show. Well, lest we beat this dead horse uh, too long. You're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming online via WERA.FM. We are your community radio station. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Julian Lytle, Drew Bittner, and Shireen Nicole. We've just been talking a little bit about the impending cancellation of Supergirl on the CW following the conclusion of its sixth season which uh, God only knows when that is going to be coming uh, based on uh, COVID. Uh, The other thing uh, that I wanted to mention, speaking of COVID, uh, is uh, it's gotten to the point where now I've I've quit reporting on it in terms of everything being pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. Uh, But I did see a story today on in Variety where uh, they were talking about uh, how uh, eventually, uh, assuming uh, that everything comes back because who knows what in the heck is going to happen. Uh, we've seen the Regal uh, Cinema chain uh, determining that they are closing down. Uh, could be that uh, when e- eventually, when this pandemic ends, uh, the entertainment industry is dramatically different. But uh, the story that I saw in Variety was that Marvel and DC movies will potentially flood theaters in 2021 and 2022 if they can be made in time. And, you know, there's some that are already in the can. There's some that are in production. But, you know, I mean, this Dune has been moved back. Batman has been moved back. The Flash has been moved back. Wonder Woman 84 has been moved back. Black Widow, um, you know, you've got it's just it's crazy. What do we what do we think about this? You can't go to the movie theater. So they got to push everything back. Not not to sound cynical, but like once Regal Cinema closed all their theaters in two countries. uh, They got to they got to push everything back. And technically, I don't like. What else is there to do than just push them back? Because we got to make make a whole year wash. Uh, I don't. I, I still don't think it's financially feasible to put these movies out on video on demand when they cost like some of these movies cost a quarter of a billion dollars. Like, mm-hmm. and you know, as much as the global market is very important, it's very important in terms of the grosses. But it has that nice cushion on the fact that America spends a lot of money on entertainment and we'll spend twenty dollars to see a movie. So, you know, it can make the rest seven hundred and whatever million dollars globally from all the other countries as long as they can make that three hundred here. And if you can't make that three hundred million here, 
then yo you gotta you gotta put it off like I just don't know if the theaters will be able to survive such such delays yeah um, yeah well and even the production delays because uh, I understand that I mean again while there are some films that are in the can I mean you had stuff like uh, the Eternals and um, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings uh, you know that uh, that weren't even I mean they had started production but um, well okay excuse me I understand the Eternals actually is uh, they, they finished principal pr- yeah. production on that yeah but Shang-Chi was like midway through production um, you know and uh, shoot then you had stuff like Thor Love and Thunder and uh, the you know this uh, Spider-Man sequel um, you know but it, but yeah so uh, it but you're right it all hinges on what happens with the entertainment industry and uh, particularly theaters because uh, I don't think that things have worked out as well as uh, Disney had hoped, uh, say, with the uh, digital release of Mulan. And, uh, you know, and that was that was a pretty safe bet. I mean, based I mean, because they were able to uh, release that in theaters over in the Asian market. And, um, you know, but I'll tell you what. I, my daughter isn't home from school. My wife hasn't been making noise about it. I haven't sprung the 30 bucks to see Mulan. And if I wait another month and a half, it'll be on regular Disney Plus, you know, and yeah. I can just watch it, you know. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know that the whole uh, digital release thing, I mean, it worked out okay for um, Hamilton, but, uh, you know, what, how many movies are Hamilton? I mean, that was a unique case. I, I don't know that the model for releasing things through a streaming service for first run is going to be one that is uh, is as profitable as theatrical release had been, you know. But but you're right. I mean, it it all depends on because theaters theaters could go away. They could be gone like the dodo bird at the conclusion of this thing, you know. Well, I think they might go away to a point where it becomes uh, where it becomes more like theater, like like actual live theater, where it becomes something for those in in certain areas with certain amount of money uh, that can afford such, you know, such things as going to a movie and spending thirty dollars to see something with crazy seats and a bunch of big speakers. I hope. Hopefully they can pivot and make more drive-ins because actually those things shouldn't never went away, but nobody could see the forest for the trees. Uh, but I think that would actually help help in the long term because I think a lot of people were starting to not like going to the theaters anyway because they didn't want to sit around people making a bunch of noise and always looking at their phone. But if everybody's in their own car, everybody exactly. can enjoy the movie the way they want to. Right. I mean, I was I was thinking about this back in the back in the beginning of this whole disaster that you know they should use the summertime to launch pop up drive-ins in parking lots and things, and that way they can still sell concessions, they can still you know move some tickets, they can still sell some sell some movie space, but none of them did that, and I to this day I don't know why Regal, AMC, all these others did not even look at this possibility because. There are pop-up cinemas that, that uh, cities like Alexandria do. There have been pop-up you know, drive-ins and movie theaters in Sherlington and Fairfax. And you know, why, why can't they do this? 
They they uh, have the resources. They just didn't do it. I think Alamo Drafthouse has, um, with with their with their theaters and uh, and the theaters that have different parking lots and stuff. I don't, I don't know. It might be too costly in terms of how much they're paying for rent in the places they have with their physical locations. If they have the amount of of money cash flow to then like yeah. rent out rent other out. places and still pay rent. Well, you know, the I think the other element to that, and I'm just going to take a stab at this, um, you know, based on my knee jerk. Uh, I think part of the problem is the multiplex um, concept, you know, where because I remember when all of a sudden you could go to one theater and, you know, they well one building rather, and they'd have like 20 different theaters showing 15 different movies, you know, and so even. You know, those big releases that were on, uh, it might be on a couple of screens in the place. You know, the, the show times are staggered. Uh, you know, you've got it in IMAX and 3D and all this. Um, if Even if you can do a pop-up drive-in, um, first thing is you got to wait until it's night because you can't do that during the day at all. Second thing is how many cars are you going to be able to get in? Where there's a good enough view. I mean, my wife and I went to a uh, pop-up uh, screening of uh, Woke during the summer, and uh, and it was cool. It was out at RFK Stadium, but uh, you know, I mean, we, we we got hooked up, and we were in the very front. Uh, but I'll tell you something: if somebody had been in the back seat, they wouldn't necessarily have been able to hear as or see see as well. Um, you know, I don't know about the cars behind us, how well they could see, and even so, you weren't going to be able to get but so many vehicles uh on that lot you know so i just i don't know how much of a money-making proposition in comparison to the existing multiplex model this you know was i mean i agree with you i think they should have done it but i don't know that you could have pivoted and uh said okay we're going to do drive-in theaters now as opposed to multiplex cinemas Okay, Drew, I hear you trying to say something. No. <laughs> Those are all good points. And and certainly, I mean, the, the cash flow from a pop-up movie theater like a drive-in would be would be vastly less than they'd get from selling seats in inside, you know, theaters. Um, I think I think the upside is it, it maintains their brand, it gives them the opportunity to sell concessions, you know, and and yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of logistical issues, but these are the sorts of things that you can work out if you at least pilot some of these things early on. If they if they tried like pilot testing some of this in like April or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, finding finding a few parking lots like the parking lot, for instance, at Landmark Mall in Alexandria, is a really big parking lot, and they could have had the use of all of it with, you know, pretty probably very little complication. But um, if if you don't try, you don't know, and I guess that's mm. kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah. Well, the other, the only other thing that I'm going to say about that is that, uh, and you're right. You start looking at it in April, and uh, you know, but who knew that we were going to be so totally screwed? I mean, the lack of federal leadership, uh, you know, because uh, basically there are other countries that are coming out on the backside of this thing now, but we we capitulated months ago. I mean, you got Florida opening up with like no restrictions. They're just like, hey, you know, we've given up. People are going to die. You know, wear your mask and we'll just do the best we can, you know. So, um, you know, but yet there's still 
huge swaths of the American economy that are are either going under or that aren't coming back. Uh, you know, still claims for unemployment at an all-time high. Uh, you still can't go visit, you know, your elderly mother or grandmother in the nursing home because those are all closed to visitation. I mean, it's just, you know, who who would have realized that we would have been so incredibly backward? I mean, I, I think the expectation on everybody's part back in March was, oh yeah, by the end of the summer, beginning of the fall, we'll be digging out of this thing and it shows no sign of ending anyway look um hold that thought because i'm sure somebody wants to say something but that musical cue means that it's time for us to take a short break because of course fantastic forum comes to you via wera 96.7 fm in arlington we're a community radio station which among other things means that we're non-commercial and so we need to acknowledge our underwriters and our sponsors And we're also going to take a couple of minutes to promote some of the other wonderful WERA shows coming up later tonight. But stick around because we haven't even gotten to the meat of what we're talking about yet today on Fantastic Forum. So don't touch that dial. Shireen, Drew, and Julie and I will be right back right after this. And welcome back to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming online via WERA.FM. Radio Arlington, I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Drew Bittner, Shireen Nicole, and Julian Lytle. And uh, we were just talking a little bit about uh, the flood of these comic book movies uh, that are due to come out at this point in 2021 and 2022 if they could be finished and that sort of morphed into a conversation about the entertainment industry specifically theaters um so did anybody else have anything that they wanted to say about that oh um i think that the production side will be fine as they're working out uh how to film safely and I also think certain people will probably move productions to other countries that have way less cases and better handling and better, like, I guess, healthcare and such to take care of the, uh, the performers and the crew. So I, I think in the end, the production is going to start ramping up pretty again pretty soon. It's just I think it's going to cost a lot of money in local economies that we shoot here. Unless you shoot on Tyler Perry Studios because he's been filming for the last two months. Um, so... Well, there's a safe way to do it if you can sequester everybody. I mean, I think Tyler Perry is pretty much the gold standard when it comes to that. And uh, he's really going to teach Hollywood something uh, in this. You know, One of the things that I think is going to be fascinating is what comes out of all this. Because, Julian, as you point out, the industries are going to have to, uh, have to adapt. And uh, if you are nimble enough and you are able to take advantage of uh, certain elements, uh, you know, whether that is shooting overseas and countries that have fewer cases or being able to sequester your crew and your cast uh, in some remote location or on a large lot like uh, Tyler Perry has in Atlanta. Uh, you know, there are ways to go about doing it safely. And um, I think that we've seen some examples of that. And 
of course, depending on the persistence of all of this, uh, you know, certainly because it's a choice between these industries going under or surviving somehow. And I think everybody is going to be interested in them surviving somehow. The, the American film industry is just too important to Americans. And, uh, you know, it's too big a deal in terms of being able to offer uh, a respite from your cares and your worries. And so uh, I think we'll have to see. The other thing that I had wanted to mention was the anniversary, 70th anniversary of the debut of the Peanuts comic strip, Charles M. Schultz syndicated cartoon about Charlie Brown and Snoopy and Linus and Lucy and all the Peanuts gang made its um, uh, daily comic strip debut 70 years ago on October 2nd, 1950 and this this strip culturally was so big so important gave us so many great characters great moments i just thought that it was worthy of mention i mean i realize some of these young kids out there they don't necessarily know from charlie brown i'd watch the great pumpkin and charlie brown christmas uh you know some of the movies uh you know it, it's it's it, it was just a great thing it was a big deal, and I mean, it was honestly one of the first comic strips that I think had been commercialized that way, and and so much had been done with it. And, and I, I don't think you can really overestimate the impact that like a Charlie Brown Christmas had. You know, it really created the whole industry of seasonal specials, followed by you know, it's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, and then all the Rankin Bass specials that came out you know, around the same time. And I mean, all these things together just, you know, created a whole feeling around the holidays that um, it would be a very different world that if that had never existed. No, I hear you. And, uh, and I, I share your thing, mean, particularly what you're saying about these, the holiday specials, because, uh, you know, for all the movies, uh, Snoopy come home, you're a good man, Charlie Brown, you know, even uh, the more recent one that came out like last year, the year before where they were essentially CGI. Uh, it, it, it was a Charlie Brown Christmas and that, uh, you know, Charlie Brown Halloween special. It's, it's a great pumpkin, Charlie Brown, that really mm -hmm. put those things on the map. I mean, in fact, to this instant, uh, you know, you can't go through Christmas without checking out, uh, you know, Ch a Charlie Brown Christmas. And the fact that the producer went and got jazz musicians, uh, you know, to do some of the score for these things. I mean, they were really very cleverly put together. And uh, they hold up, uh, despite the fact that, because I, I remember being a kid, and the very first time that Charlie Brown Christmas special came on, I was sitting in front of the TV watching it. So, you know, the fact that it's, uh, it's held up over time, uh, I think, is just very worthy of note. So, yep. um, you know, absolutely, uh, we have to observe uh, such an august anniversary. But um, I, I do, um, because I kind of liked... Uh, the topic that uh, I'd want to talk about today. Uh, and I wanted to make sure that we had enough time to just go through some of this because comics I've always said are the foundation of, despite the fact that we've got the movies and the television series and comics now in a lot of ways are uh, simply the, the intellectual property uh, for all these other mediums. But the, the, 
the comics are the foundation of it all. And if you've been reading comics long enough, then you've seen a whole bunch of different stuff in these comics. Situations that were kind of cool, some that were kind of stupid, <laughs> you know? And that was actually what I had wanted to talk about on, on today's show. Because, for example, and I'm going to lead with one uh, that, um, that I think actually was kind of, uh, kind of stupid. Um, but uh, in the X-Men comic books, uh, the uh, Hellfire Club, the very first time that the X-Men... Uh, went up against them. And uh, I want to say it was um, like uh, X-Men 132, I want to say it was. But here's the thing. So there were a bunch of Gunsels uh, because Wolverine, I mean, the X-Men were basically captured. They were always getting captured back in those days. But Wolverine was like the one who was loose and in a position to, to, to rescue him. And I think, actually, it might have been 133 where this happened. But um, So Wolverine is alone, and he went full-bore berserk. And uh, a bunch of these gunsels for the Hellfire Club got cut up. Now, I hey, I don't have a problem with these guys getting cut up. They were bad guys. They deserved what they got. But then... At some point later in the X-Men comics, some issues down the road, these guys came back as cyborgs. <laughs> and I was like, wait, 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 wait. Hold up. What the hell you mean these guys come back as cyborgs? They're freaking dead. Wolverine hacked them to pieces. But because you don't want to kill them, you're going to do this thinly veiled, oh, yes, well... They didn't actually die, and the Hellfire Club spent billions of dollars on the mechanical parts to save these Gunsels' lives and turn them into cyborgs. Yeah, which great. I thought was the Weavers are amazing. <laughs> I, I I thought it was highly questionable. <laughs> One of the members of the Hellfire Club was a cyborg, so he made a whole gang for himself. And then he wrecked the X-Men in Australia. Yeah. And Donald crucified Pierce. Wolverine on a giant X. Nom, fam. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Iron Man should be dead, but he put something over his heart and he survives. Uh, Bruce Banner was blown up by an entire atomic bomb, but survives. And he just turns into a green rage monster. But like... A cyborg taking a bunch of dudes who got messed up and like giving them cybernetic parts. Don't that's hard <laughs> to believe. Forge what? has like like he has a missing hand and like a whole leg that he just built himself because his mutant power is I can make things. I'm just saying. A lot of cyborgs mm -hmm. in the X Men the X Men universe. You seem incredulous. Is that what <laughs> is that what I'm hearing? Incredulity? I'm just saying <laughs> the readers were great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I thought that was really stupid. I'm sorry. You know, hey, Shireen, you've got to me. In fact, your moment is I it, I haven't even seen that book, but I thought that that was a really cool thing. Would you would you share uh, what you thought was like a really cool comic book moment? 
Oh, uh, okay. Sorry. Are you talking about Marvel and the X Men or DC and Batman? No, I'm talking. I'm talking. I'm talking about the DC one. I'm gonna tell both of them because I've been. Oh, quiet. okay. Oh, okay. I've been, I've been quiet and and I feel empowered as a woman to take my time to shine. So, <laughs> you my, go, girl. Thank you. Snap, snap. <laughs> my 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 first moment is an X Men moment that has always stood out to me. It was Storm. Colossus and Wolverine out in the field sparring, practicing, having a good time. A villain comes upon them, and I cannot remember which villain it is, and I have had trouble finding this particular comic. So it's, it's probably one of those moments that is only a bright Shireen moment, as we all have those moments. But the villain comes up on them and gives Storm a choice. She can either save Colossus or Wolverine. She's got to pick one to die. She chooses Logan. The, the villain blasts Logan. Of course, he's the Wolverine, so he does his whole gymnastics things and pops out of the way. But the way that he looks at Aurora after she chose him, and she calls after him, but of course, you know how he is. He storms away. And you, I think there's a thought bubble that says she chose him because she knew that Colossus was too heavy and unwieldy to move out of the way. She knew Logan could survive, and so she chose him because he could survive. I have always loved that moment. It just shows how we can misunderstand each other, how sometimes the thing that people most admire about us becomes a thing that we believe is our shortcoming. So that's one. The moment that Ulysses wanted me to talk about is a DC Comics moment. It is one of my favorite of all time because it is so mad ridiculous. The Joker has died, people. He's dead. Batman is like, yo, I feel okay about this. Like, he's, he's, not, <laughs> he's not celebrating, but he feels fine, you know? He's like, okay. Like, he feels like he can rest. You understand? He feels like, okay. Much like, you know, we would feel on election day if things go the way we'd like. He feels like he can rest a little bit. I mean, there's still a whole cadre of villains out there. But, you know, your greatest nemesis is gone. Anyway, they come up with a problem. <laughs> there's a problem, and there's only one person in all of humanity who can help Batman solve that problem, right? And it's and the, that's Joker. the Joker. <laughs> yeah. But he's dead. But he's dead. So but there's only one thing that Batman can do. We know he doesn't believe in magic or resurrection or voodoo or nothing. So it's the Lazarus Pit. Now, we all know that the Lazarus Pit, when you first come out of it, makes you go mad. So we're scared to death to see what Joker comes out of this pit. Batman puts the body of the Joker in the Lazarus Pit. The Joker comes out of the Lazarus Pit. And he's sane. Why? <laughs> because only sane people come out mad. So he, so a mad person comes out sane. <laughs> and the first thing Joker does is cover his mouth and say, Oh, dear God, what have I done? <laughs> it is I remember favorite. that. That, was that is so cool. That, that is so fire. cool. <laughs> well, first it's he's like, like I, I feel strange. <laughs> it <was> like... <laughs> It's called clarity, son. That's <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! It, it, 
it's just brilliant. I and I should know who wrote that. I'm gonna go find out because I found that comic, and I need to go remember who wrote that. But it is my favorite, and I have, of course, we all have other comics moments that are just divine. But those are the two that just because they surprised me, because I really didn't know what was coming. <laughs> so there you have it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, so um, uh, Julian. Since you were so derisive of the moment I thought was stupid, um, you know, and, and you kind of flipped it, though. You're like, no, the Reavers were actually cool. But is there uh, another comic book moment that you thought was really cool? Maybe I can say I think it's stupid. Oh, OK. I have one because a book that, that a lot of people don't like. Uh, it's the last issue of Final Crisis. Dark Side has uh, really screwed up everything. Uh, Batman has taken him out by shooting him with the God bullet, which made a lot of people unhappy. Uh, but Superman saves the day in the entire issue through creation. So he come back from the future with the Legion of Superheroes. He looked at the miracle machine. He memorized it. So he sat down at his Superman drafted table as he keeps what's left of all of creation in a floating fortress of solitude and he draws up the plans he has Supergirl and, and John Stewart build the machine he puts the rest of all of people in basically Superman ice cubes to protect them while he's building back up creation and then when Darkseid comes back because you know you can't kill a god Superman sings him away and see, in my head, Superman is singing the Jacksons, Can You Feel It? And then he just wipes away Darkseid. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then, like, the actual Big Bad comes out, which is like a vampire monitor stealing the, the life out of the stories or whatever. It gets all crazy and better textual. And then, like, the Greenlanders stick the vampire because, you know. But Superman doesn't raise his hand in violence the entire issue. And I was like, that's the most Superman thing I've read that year. Because I don't even think All-Star Superman was out that time. It was just amazing to me. And then I had debate and arguments up and down the Eastern Seaboard about why Final Crisis was awesome and why the issue works and why Superman is awesome in that. Because he doesn't have to, he shouldn't have to punch anything to be Superman. You have hmm. a superhero comic that doesn't resolve things through violence. It's through creation. And most that's, people ain't working on that level. That's somebody who actually understands the nature of Superman. And may I interject, Julian? Uh, actually, Shireen, before mm -hmm. you do that, I'm just going to remind listeners that this is Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming online via WERA.FM. We are Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Julian Lytle, Drew Bittner, and Shireen Nicole. And Shireen was just getting ready to interject something. Yeah, but you jacked it up. I was going <laughs> to say, can you feel it? Exactly. Can you feel it? Can you feel it? But then, you know, it, it, it's irrelevant now because Julie put all this space between it. You know what I'm saying? I well, got, no, I everybody got remembers he said that, yeah, he envisioned Superman singing... Can you feel it by the Jackson? Just say I'm so, sorry, yeah. you listen. No, I'm kidding. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I am so sorry. 
Superman's doing the background vocals and the lead vocals at the same time. <laughs> Cause because he's Superman. Super voice, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's super, super ventriloquism. Yes. You know? Yeah. Oh, he just... might just have bought some other Superman from other Earths. You know what I'm saying? They could all be in there. Popping, yeah. locking. But yeah. <laughs> they Jackson Five on with their strong nostrils. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't. I can't even pick something I don't like. There's so many things. We could, we could be here for two, three hours talking about stuff. <laughs> You know, I like talking about stuff we like. There's so much to dislike right now. I enjoy <laughs> talking about things that just bring us a, a bit of joy. Like, I, I, I don't mean to change the topic, but I, but it kind of is on topic because Julian mentioned All-Star Superman. And as you guys all know, we, I mean, we know who wrote it, <laughs> but we also know who wrote the script for the animated adaptation, and that was the great Dwayne McDuffie. And I saw the documentary on Dwayne McDuffie for the first time recently at um, DC Fandom. And you guys, it, it I was sad and crying because of the loss of that great mind, but also so overjoyed at what he gave us and how he's inspired me. So, you know, definitely glasses up, whatever's in your glass, water, milk, whiskey, you know, whatever you need. Glasses up to Dwayne McDuffie. Yeah, really. Yeah, I heard that was a really good uh, documentary, too. Oh, my gosh. It's so good. It just touches you. And to hear the way everyone talks about him, to hear how he shaped Milestone, you know, knowing that it was Dennis Cohen's idea, but that McDuffie came in and made it multicultural, and he wrote the Bible, and he did it so fast. Like, they said McDuffie would do stuff so fast, and then he pretend like it took a while because he didn't want to give people a complex, but his wife was like, yeah, he did that yesterday, and that was all it took. <laughs> that's a it's a pretty incredible person who understood how to write and so i went back and i watched the episodes of justice league unlimited that were the once and future thing those two episodes uh also two of my favorite episodes of of all time just so many good moments that are indicative and core to these characters that we love so much so yeah you know mm -hmm. there you have it he he truly did a yeoman's job on uh, on those Justice League series, but um, yeah. But to pivot back, because uh, Drew, you didn't um, you hadn't mentioned a cool comic book moment. One thing that we can always always talk about is, uh, for instance, the original Crisis on Infinite Earths. I mean, I I don't think that it had exactly the aftermath in terms of what was done with it afterward that everyone was sort of looking for, but. Um, it was a pretty bold move at the time. I mean, the idea of a, of a comic book company essentially taking their entire continuity and mostly trashing it and saying, we're going to just start everything again and starting with like Man of Steel and a brand new take on Wonder Woman and all these things. I mean, that was, that was a pretty bold move for DC. And, you know, un unfortunately, it's been you know, uh, brought up again and again and again. It's sort of like the, the, the crisis never really ended kind of thing. And um, so it, it's, it's been cheapened by overuse and repetition. But, but for what it was at the time, it was, it was a pretty intense thing for, for comics to, you know, see that happening and, and be with it happening. Um, I'd probably put that up against, um, for instance, Watchmen. 
when when Watchmen came out. That was amazing because you remember it was a monthly comic. You're seeing it month by month, the story unfolding and spending time in the comic book store talking about what every little thing means and oh my god, where's the story going next? And and then being surprised and like, yeah, I I didn't see that coming at all. So you know. Okay. All right. Well, um that's that's a little broader than what I was saying, but you actually reminded me of something when you mentioned um Crisis on Infinite Earths, because uh, one moment that I thought was really great from that was when the Flash destroyed the anti-monitor's antimatter cannon. <laughs> I just thought, I mean, that was a crazy heroic moment, uh, even though it cost the character his life at the time. There's a certain way that a, a, a superhero is supposed to go out, and basically the Flash covered practically every element of that i mean ideally as a superhero if you're gonna die you should die defeating your greatest enemy saving like a large number of people ideally like the world a galaxy the universe type of thing and you're supposed to have a successor to take your place and you know it's like basically the flash covered almost every element of that i mean i wouldn't say anti-monitor was his greatest villain but the fact that he saved a bunch of people and he ended up having a successor to take his place and the name of the flash did not have to disappear from the universe i thought was yeah. like oh okay that was like really spot on yeah he checked all the boxes and and they <laughs> followed it up with the death of supergirl you know, that was the next issue. So That's true. Yeah, yeah. And she didn't come to a bad end either, you know? I mean, as, as uh, overall uh, stories go. Well, I tell you what. Um, we could absolutely continue this. And there's so many more great moments and stupid moments, quite frankly, that we could talk about. But <laughs> we have regrettably reached the end of the show. So... Um, I'm going to thank our panelists and you, too, for tuning in. Of course, Fantastic Forum is also a television show. Even though we haven't had any new episodes in a while, you can check out the television version. Uh, I, I, well, in several different places, they continue to show the reruns, which is a wonderful thing. Uh, you can uh, check the website at fantasticforum.tv. You can find out when the show is on. Also... Uh, the radio show is going strong. We are also a podcast. If you happen to tune into the Great Geek Refuge, I understand the numbers are really great. Uh, I am very grateful for that because any platform that is going to enable me to reach more people with this crazy stuff that uh, we all love, the comics, the movies, the TV, I'm, I'm just very grateful for that. And, uh, of course, Fantastic Forum, if you miss any portion of it for the Saturday broadcast, it re-airs every Thursday from 3 to 4 p.m. right on this station. So uh, be sure to check out the website at fantasticforum.tv. Check out the podcast via the Great Geek Refuge and all uh, those platforms where podcasts are. Uh, make sure that you come back again next week. Same bat time, same bat station. Protect yourself at all times. Code is still out there. And have a wonderful rest of the weekend. Be safe, happy, and healthy, and put some good in the world. There you go. I couldn't have said it any better myself. I endorse that message. 